Welcome back, BCN listeners, to this week's edition of Black Consumer News Headlines. I'm your host, Angel Burt, BCN's Chief Creative Officer, and in the studio with me today, of course, is my co-host, Wesley Brown, BCN's publisher and executive editor. Black Consumer News covers the top local, state, and national stories of the week on BlackConsumerNews.com. And if you haven't already, please sign up for our website at BlackConsumerNews.com to get your weekly copy of our Monday Morning Brew newsletter and stay abreast of important financial, business, and public policy issues affecting you. For this week, we have a very special guest to kick off our first 30 minutes of our show, and then we will close out the final half hour with our popular BCN headline segment. But let's get to our very, very, very special guest who serves, (laughs) yes, who serves at the highest level of our federal government. Her name is Ms. Shanetta Griffin who was appointed by President Joe Biden on June 7th to serve as the Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, Associate Administrator for the Office of Airports. If you didn't know, the FAA is the largest agency within the U.S. Department of Transportation, led by Secretary Pete Buttigieg. The FAA regulates overseas and oversees all aspects of civil aviation in the country. Shanetta Griffin leads a team of more than 600 employees around the country and manages an annual budget of $3.35 billion, which includes an operating budget for about $112 million. She's responsible for the Airport Improvement Program grants, which total around $8 billion annually, as well as two major research programs. She's also responsible for administering national airport safety and standards, planning, engineering, environmental processing, financial assistance, and compliance programs for more than 3,300 public-use airports nationwide. Welcome, Ms. Shanetta Griffin, to Black Consumer News Radio. Thank you so much, Angel, for having me today. You and Mr. Brown, it is awesome to be here today to be able to share with you, especially during this time of Black History Month. And I'm proud to be a part of that. And I'm proud to be here with you all for all the accomplishments you all have done as well. So thank you again for having me. And thank you for that, Shanetta. All right, Shanetta, let's jump right in. You are the first African-American and the first African-American woman to be the associate administrator for airports. Where do you see your role as a political appointee? Thank you for that question, Angel. First, let me say that I'm honored to be in the Biden-Harris administration and the Department of Transportation. Being able to be the first African-American and the first African-American female for the associate, uh, for, as the associate administrator for airports. Mm-hmm. Being able to represent more than 3,000 airports that move our traveling public and cargo across this world is an amazing feeling, an amazing time to be in this historical position. As an appointee, I feel as though it's my role to make sure that the programs we institute, as you mentioned, for safety, research, and financial opportunities that we fulfill the priorities of the administration, which as everyone continues to hear from our president of equity, job creation, 
access for disadvantaged communities, access for those with disabilities, environmental sustainability, which is very critical at this point in time, and then also resiliency as we look at all the climate change impacts that are happening across the world. So that's, I feel as though that's what I need to be doing to make sure that all the money that we're handing out across the country, that we look at those types of priorities and make sure that they can happen. Wonderful. And Shanetta, you're also the first on some, several other occasions, I'm told, or I've read about, uh, one being a civil engineer. Tell us a little bit about some more of your first. Sure. You know, and, and, and one of the quotes that I heard the other day about being the first, um, mm-hmm. certainly you got to make sure that being the first is a good thing, but being making sure that you're not the last. So I'm really trying to uh, kind of live by that. But yes, I was the first African-American female to graduate from the Civil Engineering College at the University of Toledo. I was the first African-American to uh, sit on the executive board at a couple of our airports as well. And then also many times being the only female in a really a truly male-dominated profession, but being the only female in a room and certainly being the only African-American female in the room. So again, that has really driven me. Uh, mm-hmm. to make sure that, as I mentioned, not being the last um, and being able to give back in a way that I ensure that that is not the case. Looking, oh, at your, looking at your resume, it seems like your background, you were at some of the largest airports in this country. So uh, you said being the first at those. Tell us about that experience, being the first at some of our nation's most important airports. So, yeah. So just uh, as I think about, um, you know, where I sat in, and leadership there. So Indianapolis was certainly one. Columbus was one. I did, I've kind of gone around the, the realm of, of being in aviation from a consultant perspective wow. um, to actually working at an airport and now certainly in the federal government. So a lot of the things that I've done and being the first in has been on both areas, you know, from consulting and, and at airports. Um, but I think being at the airport has been the most significant because that's where I can really give opportunity Uh, to small minority businesses, to make sure that the staff, they're trying to mentor them and give them opportunities for advancement and growth. Um, So again, all of those things are are great accomplishments, but the biggest accomplishment is those that I brought along with me. Right. Uh, And that's that, you know, and I like what you said about, you know, you may be the first, but you don't want to be the the last. So that means you are truly a trailblazer, you know, opening the door uh, or giving the example to open the door for so so many more. So I I, I definitely uh, I think that is very, very inspiring. I want to go back to you speaking about executives. What other changes would you like to see uh, for black executives within the FAA? Well, you know, I believe that uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, which is now that whole phrase of DEIA, is -hmm. important to the success of any organization, and certainly with the FAA as well. Mm -hmm. But what's important for myself and other executives is the uh, opportunity to be at the table and to make sure that we have the same opportunity to make decisions that impact our evolving industry. So that's what all of us are trying to do is making sure that we're providing meaningful conversation, meaningful direction, um, because our industry is changing daily. um, And so being at that table. But we have to make sure that we're also building the future executives through succession planning, recruitment and retention, which the FAA is really doing a good job, really got a strong plan right now under the leadership of our administrator, Steve Dixon, and our deputy administrator, Brad Mims. So making sure that all of us are thinking 
uh, in that way and providing opportunity. That's really what the, all of us as the Black executives there and any other executives within the organization really are putting our focus on because it's the future of aviation that we really need to be taking care of. I, I want to build on that question of, uh, you, you mentioned DEI, which is diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and others are putting that, that justice issue on the end of that too. Uh, and we've seen after the George Floyd protests and all, all the movements uh, uh, last summer, uh, the summer 2020, that, that uh, corporate world and the government are diving into the DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives. And I want to ask, do you feel and you've been around this all of your career, do you feel that this is, these initiatives at this particular time are making a difference in the workplace? Uh, I know in the past, different diverse, diversity initiatives have been made in the corporate world, but they didn't have a lot of, you know, uh, uh, teeth. Uh, so kind of give me your perspective on the whole DEIA movement now and, and an initiative within the AFA. Well, and, and I agree with you, Wes. I think that the George Floyd Incidents certainly brought a lot more light um, to the concerns that exist in DEI. Um, and I do think that right now there is some great initiatives that are occurring. I see all the time, especially on the corporate side, where they are now hiring people that are right. actually being put in place to ensure that mm. that is happening from the top down. And that's all about leadership. And that's mm. why I mentioned the fact of, of our leaders who are doing the exact same thing. So Certainly from a federal government perspective, I think the conversation has been always been there, but putting a different focus on it, making sure that as we look at, um, you know, employees of the future, what does that look like? Looking at those with uh, disabilities and making sure that they have the same types of uh, availability as others that, that do as well. Um, but that whole piece about accessibility, which is really the undertone around DEI. It's right. not about just having it. It's about making people sure that people have the accessibility to be a part of the conversation, to be at the table. Again, a quote I heard the other day, uh, I think from Shirley Chisholm, has said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, then bring your folding chair. <laughs> so that's, that's exactly the type of thing that I think we're seeing uh, on all fronts. And yes, I do think that there is some changes and some difference that are being made in corporations and within um, the FAA. Uh, you mentioned that that change. Uh, one of the things that's taken place a lot, and I've seen this here locally uh, with some of our corporations and some of our government vehicles uh, or agencies, is that the the DE and IA officer or executive, many times, unlike in the past, is 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 directly has a straight uh, shot to the CEO or to, uh, and is not a part of human resources that has have been in the past. Do you think? Do you see that uh, more in the, the, the diversity initiatives today? Oh, most certainly. And, and, and let me, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that um, the head of the Department of Transportation, Secretary Buttigieg, is really leading uh, this effort for us. He is very adamant about making sure that we look at all aspects of what we're doing, no matter if it's projects or grants or just how we hire and how we deal with each other, that we continue to look at uh, diversity, equity, inclusion in a different kind of way. But yeah. I agree with you that when it starts from the top, that is how it becomes more effective. Um, if the leader believes, if the leader gives direction, then certainly it becomes something that is precedent in the, in the organization and becomes a part of the fabric of the organization and not just words that are being used. Right. 
Um, I, I want to kind of switch gears a, a little bit here, um, Shanetta, and kind of speak to us about um, the about the aviation, um, actually the aviation kind of arena uh, that a lot of young people uh, are not necessarily involved in. A lot of people in general uh, are not involved in, as you know, being an engineer yourself. Uh, I was reading a study uh, from the Georgetown University that showed that black college students' uh, top major group is, is law degrees or public policies. How do you promote getting more African-American students interested in aviation? You know, if you if you kind of if you look at my resume and kind of look at what I've done over my career, I truly believe that this is a part of my purpose. You know, Mm -hmm. I think we all have a purpose that we've been put on this earth for. And I believe that that's a part of mine. And it's been my personal commitment to help others provide meaningful opportunities, both personal and professional growth. And I've done that over the years, specifically with students, by making sure that I find ways to give them opportunities in the aviation industry. So as I go out and I talk to students at all grade levels, I really make them aware of all of the things that they can do in the industry. As you mentioned, law, public policy, HR, IT, uh, engineering, architecture, all of those things exist in in the aviation industry. But a lot of times our young students, especially students of color, don't recognize that they have the same opportunities here that they do in any other corporation that exists. Um, so by, by participating not only in those types of programs, but also with organizations like the uh, um, Airport Minority Advisory Council or AMAC, uh, the Conference of Minority Transportation Officials, CONTO, all of these organizations have these types of programs, internships, uh, training avenues for, for those in the um, aviation industry. WTS International, which is a group that is geared just at helping women advance in the transportation area the National Society of Black Engineers. As a member and also as a speaker, I go back. uh, Actually, I'm going back to my college uh, next month to sit and talk with them about all of the opportunities that exist for them. Um, I sit on the board of the University of Toledo that I went to of the College of Engineering, making sure that that matriculation process that happens for students so that they can be successful in college and outside of college is important to me. And of course, I have to mention my, my beloved sorority of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, which we are all about giving service and finding opportunities for young people. So making sure that I do that in all avenues is important to me as well. So as I mentioned, we have to be able to educate our young people on all the opportunities that exist in aviation and aerospace, and not just the fact that you can be a pilot or you can be um, an astronaut, because certainly those things are important. But the things that we study in school, we also need to make sure that we um, find opportunity as well. And, and I know you mentioned that the FAA does have an intern program. And so if someone uh, was interested in being involved in that program, um, can we give out a uh, web address uh, that anyone that's listening in that may have a student that is in college and, and, and listening right now and want to even consider uh, the aviation um, role? Yes, our our minority serving institutions or MSI internship program has been very popular. Um, Last year, we had the largest class that we had. um, And through the Office of Airports, we always are engaging uh, with these individuals. They can take opportunities anywhere across 
uh, the FAA, but we've certainly done in the Office of Airports. And I took personal uh, attention on the interns that we had last year to talk to them about opportunities, making sure that their internship was successful um, Mm -hmm. and the things that they needed to do because it is a resume builder. But yes, I think that uh, we've shared with you and you can share that with your your audience of the uh, the websites that you can go to. Uh, FAA.gov takes you to a lot of the things that we have on our website, but certainly um, that uh, our internship program is there. I'm not sure about if we've uh, actually hit our deadline in regards to that, but but it is open uh, for uh, interns right now, and that is for the graduate and undergraduate level. So again, we're very proud of what we're able to do with bringing young people into FAA and giving them firsthand experience about the work that we do. And you're right. I do have that website address here. It's www.faa.gov and then forward slash jobs, forward slash students, forward slash internship, forward slash minority. So if you're interested in joining the program or even finding out even more information about the program, you can go to that website. And we'll also have that website uh, information on our morning brew as well. Um, Angel, if I may, I would I do want to add too though, that there's, you know, our internship program is, is an awesome program, but we do have other avenues of which we can engage students. And this year, specifically, I'm the spokesperson for our Design Airport Challenge, which is for K through 12 students across the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's another program of which to learn. FAA has the Aviation of uh, Career Education Academy, or ACE. Um, That's a a program for middle, elementary, and high school students. And that's offered in the FAA and around the country. Um, So that's an opportunity as well. And then we also make sure that we uh, are giving back and finding into the school. So we've adopted a school program along with that. And then we also have uh, youth in aviation where they can, uh, another group of which we can talk about building them, building jobs for them. So they understand the, the, uh, the things that are going on in the industry. So again, many avenues that you, again, you'll find on FAA.gov. Uh, of all the things of which we have opportunities for students to participate with the FAA. Wonderful. And they don't have to wait until they get to college. So I like that, that, that K through 12 challenge that that's absolutely wonderful. Shanetta, I want to just kind of, uh, uh, when I first started in the news business in Oklahoma, uh, I had the opportunity, one of my, my beats that I had to cover was the FAA, the Mike Maroney Center in Oklahoma City. And uh, at that particular time, I didn't really know a lot about the FAA. Uh, that was during the period where uh, uh, the, the air traffic controller system was down. But one of the things I learned, and you mentioned it earlier, the three uh, three thousand three hundred airports in the country, and we think of the larger airports like uh, uh, the Atlanta airport or Dallas, but there that includes many of the smaller airports into the the cities all across the nation. Just kind of a Kind of a, and with that oversight, tell us about that, that whole system and those jobs that you're talking about all go all the way down to those, those smaller airports, right? Oh, most certainly. And you know, and you're right. A lot of times in the conversation, people certainly hear the larger airports because those are what are considered our, our hub airports. So you have major airlines uh, that fly into those airports. So people are used to going through those airports um, mm-hmm. to be able to get to multiple destinations. But our smaller airports contribute extensively 
to the overall aviation system and, and how we're able to move people. So in smaller communities, you've got regional aircraft that can take them from community to community and take them into those larger airports. So yes, Wes, you're exactly right. Um, when we're giving out monies and, and, and looking at the opportunities, those airports are really, are a lot of times, the stability or what are considered uh, auxiliary to those larger airports that feed into those but service so many communities, especially disadvantaged communities that really go unnoticed and sometimes even that people don't know about that exist. And and as I've been in this position, I'm hearing names and locations of those that I didn't realize existed before as well. Okay, uh, I want to kind of build on that. Uh, You you mentioned that the the recent uh, uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill that was passed, uh, 2.2 trillion, a big portion of that, about 15 billion, will go for Edgewood air carriers and contractors for payroll support. Uh, but the FAA is going to get a big slice of, of those monies. You mentioned uh, uh, the infrastructure, a lot of those smaller airports and larger, even our airport here, the building Clinton Hillary, they are rebuilding their, their runways and, and, uh, and a lot of the smaller ha- uh, airports are redoing their hangars, renovating. So tell us about that in, how this uh, the infrastructure bill and the monies that are coming in will uh, uh, impact cities all across the United States and airports. Certainly. Um, and but before I do that, I do want to emphasize the fact, and I think Angel talked about it a little bit in my introduction. Every year, the uh, Department of, uh, of Airports, the Office of Airports, we give out $3.5 billion to these over 3,000 airports across the country. So that's been the basis of how these airports have been able to expand, build on runways and taxiways and roadways and things that help to support the airport. So that's, that's a big piece of what we've been always doing and being able to provide opportunities for planners and designers and contractor vendors. Because right. like you said, uh, Wes, airports are, are integral and they're an economic engine for both cities and regions. So we've been able to do that. But with the bipartisan infrastructure law, or bill as we call it, which was signed by the president in November of last year, that is providing an additional $25 billion over the next five years to the aviation system. And it's split up in a couple of different pots. So $5 billion of that is going to go to FAA facilities that support the operations, so towers and, and other things, lighting systems, things like that that need to be uh, need repair. But the biggest portion of that money, $15 billion, goes for those infra- infrastructure grants, where, again, small, medium, large airports get a proportion of that money, and they're able then to decide on projects that help to move, one, the initiatives that I talked about, but making sure that they're uh, aligned with uh, the types of things that are helping to keep the airport moving. And then $5 billion, which is a new program for airport terminals and air traffic control towers, really will allow us to take those dollars and get back to those administrative priorities that I talked about. We need to be building terminals of the future that are uh, environmentally sustainable, resilient, where they're looking at impacts of climate change, as you see all these tornadoes that are hitting, Uh, hurricanes that are happening, earthquakes that are happening. Well, the infrastructure needs to last. It needs to be around another 50 years like some of them are now. So the dollars that we have, the money that we're uh, putting out, we're hoping that that will help airports to start to look and build a different way, looking at all those accessibility issues that I talked about, 
making sure we're connecting disadvantaged communities so intermodal is very important from rail lines to transit lines to make sure people have a way to either get to work or get from the airport to their homes. So uh, yes, we're hoping this is historical money and we're uh, very anxious to get that out to our airport communities. And, and Janetta, we also wanted to, to um, also kind of loop in and for you to tell us about um, the international, I mean, with the national hiring that the, um, that the FAA is doing. And can you tell us about the direct hire for civil engineer majors? Can you talk about that? Yeah. So to be able to facilitate and administer this bipartisan infrastructure law over the next five to 10 years, we're going to be hiring about uh, close to 100 staff um, from civil engineers, community planners, and environmental specialists. So through this effort of this direct hire, it really gives us an opportunity to be competitive in a tough hire market. You know, uh, in- engineers right now are very hard to find, and everybody's going after engineers and planners, so it's important. So basically, this direct hire opportunity that we have in the case of the Office of Airports, if we see an interested candidate, either that comes through our portal or we find them, they say they're interested um, and they're going after a civil engineer degree or within six months, they're going to be uh, graduating from an accredited civil engineering pro- uh, program. They can send us a resume. Our HR team will review that resume, making sure that all the minimum qualifications are met. Then we can get a list of candidates. We can interview them. We can extend them an offer. And then we can actually give them a tensive letter of hire saying that they've met all the security and financial requirements. And that that, that way, uh, we can ab- we're able to bring them off the market and get them into the FAA much sooner. And I think also this is another place where um, we've shared with you a link um, mm-hmm. that you can, people can go to. So if there's any civil engineers out there, if there's any environmentalists, any uh, planners that are interested in being partners and teaming with us here at the FAA, they can go onto that website and they can even look at and meet some of our engineers, our planners, our environmental specialists that are working in the positions now and kind of see what their path has been and understand what it all takes to work at the FAA. So we're excited about that. It's a lot of hiring we have to do, but we're excited to be able to have that opportunity to bring more people into, um, into the agency. You, you mentioned that competitive environment. Uh, not only are you guys seeking engineers, but the people who are building bridges, people who are building inf- uh, water infrastructure, people in, in the federal government. So tell us about that competitive environment. And I, I know, especially with, with the, the employment right now, uh, that the people are hiring right now. Oh, yes, they are. They're, they're definitely hiring. But but as you can see across the country, there is a shortage. There is a shortage of folks that are, are willing and able to, to accept jobs, be working. Um, so that shortage is calling, causing impact across a lot of our industries, not just aviation, but a lot of our industries. So yes, that environment right now is tough to, for hire, but it's also, again, another opportunity for these students that are mm-hmm. out there and looking for jobs and, and find wanting to to get into their given professions, this is the time for them to be there and talking about what they want to do and understanding the areas of which they want to go. And that's why we're being so assertive uh, in regards to our recruiting and talking to those that are interested in aviation and aerospace to make sure that we get them and selfishly in our industry other than others. But yes, <laughs> it is uh, it is a it's a good time 
uh, to be coming out of school and to be looking for opportunities because this money, this, this transformational and historical uh, trillion dollars that's, that's across many departments uh, in the Department of Transportation, many modes, um, is, is opening up a lot of opportunity. Yeah, and they are good paying jobs too. So, and you know, we just, thank you, Wes. Uh, we have just a couple more questions for you. Um, okay. Are there any prerequisite to be considered for, for these positions? Yes, ma'am. Usually, as, as with any job, we do have uh, minimum qualifications that we require around education, around experience, around skill sets. And so, yes, there are uh, prerequisites that exist. And again, anyone on our website can see those items and yes. see where it is that they fall into play. But, but especially when we think about aviation, um, sometimes there's just specific things that you need to know. Um, but again, with any job that comes along with the uh, whatever it is that you're going after, you need to have some knowledge base around it. Wonderful. And one last question. Uh, what do you think the future trends um, are in aviation? I'll tell you, you know, I, I think about that question and I, I, the aviation industry right now is uh, it is bright. It's it's different. It's it's ever, ever changing. But I'll say three points around that, because I think the pandemic has shows, shown us that we need to be flexible in everything that we do, not just in aviation, but across all of our businesses. But we really need to address our airports and our facilities in a more sustainable and resilient way to withstand mm-hmm. some of these changes that we've experienced. I, I mean, you know, the aviation industry took a major hit, but we need to be thinking about that and building that resiliency. Items like variations in travelers' ages and categories, expanded customer service experiences, increased mm-hmm. screening and baggage technologies, innovative passenger traveler options to airports will be prevalent in these facilities of the future. The second point I want to make is about the workforce. The workforce of both the current and future need to adapt to some of these evolving technologies that we're seeing. Commercial space travel. Everybody has been seeing different people go up in space. That's very new. You only saw NASA usually doing some of those things. Drones, electric vehicles, electric aircraft. So if people think about the Jetsons, for those of us who know about the Jetsons, if you think about the Jetsons and all those things, that's where we're headed. That's where, you know, things will look like. So we've got to be thinking about that. So our current and future workforce, we need to build skill sets, develop innovative thoughts and prepare us for the now and the then. And then lastly, safety, guidance and training of our staff for the integration of these new technologies is going to be critical for us to maintain the aviation segment in our intermodal transportation ecosystem. Aviation is one component of that, but we need to make sure that we maintain that so we can continue to successfully move people, goods, and services across the globe. But right now and then, nothing is more paramount than the safety for our national aviation system is maintained regardless of the changes we see now and others that we know are coming. And I'm just excited and honored to be a part of the now, helping to prepare our workforce, our communities, and our airports for the future. So um, again, aviation industry is bright, a lot of changes coming, but we need to be prepared and we just all need to be uh, thinking about how we can be a part of the now and the future. Before you you sign off, uh, uh, Shanetta, I I, I wanna uh, go back to that airport design uh, challenge. Can you kind of uh, give us a, uh, uh, the wrap up of that one more time? 
So yeah, the design challenge is, is something that the uh, FA does every year. And as I mentioned, it's from K through 12 um, and it's students all over the world. So they form themselves into teams and they go off and create airport projects, runway right. projects, different types of things through computers and technology. Um, and so as a spokesperson this year, I'm excited because I can't wait to see you know, their final designs, but it is a real opportunity for students, again, across the world to be engaged in our aviation and um, aerospace um, elements and learn so much more than they probably ever knew. Right. Well, we're going to keep up with that. (laughs) Yes. Um, So prepare for the now. I like that. I'm going to make that. that, That's going to be my theme. (laughs) All right. (laughs) A lot. So, Chanel, I think uh, we will end on that note. We want to thank you again for being our special guest here on BlackConsumerNews.com. And, Chanel, we certainly want to continue to look for uh, even greater things from you in the future. Uh, will you promise to keep Black Consumer News updated on the FAA uh, new employee outreach and any and all of uh, any other pursuits or endeavors you have? I most certainly will. And Angel West, I thank you both for having me today. Um, Again, just exciting to be talking to you all about aviation uh, during this Black History Month. Uh, We have a lot of firsts in in our aviation uh, community. I'm glad to be a part of that, but really glad to have had this conversation with you today. And I will keep you up, keep you abreast of all the good things that we're going to be doing out of the Office of Airports and the FAA. Uh, will you thank tell uh, Miss your uh, Miss Marsha Adams that we said thank you for helping us set this interview up? I most certainly will. She did an awesome job on my end too. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, appreciate you, Marcia. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, I'm Shanetta, I'm, and enjoy the rest of your week and weekend. I thank you. Thank you much. Take care, you all. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. Wow, that was very informative and exciting to see a Black woman in such a influence and powerful position. Um, that was a great conversation. And really, um, Wes, the only thing that I really kept thinking about was aviation. Aviation, that's something that our young, our young minds, our young brilliant minds really never um, think about because it's not an area um, that they pursue. But I think she did a great job of explaining that the doors are, are wide open and all you have to do is just step in and just at, at least, um, you know, inquire, you know, yeah, look yeah, around. Yeah, there's a lot of great jobs in the FAA, air traffic controllers. She mentioned uh, one of the things I, uh, I've been writing about is that the FAA oversees drone technology. Drones are being used for everything now, taking for photos. Uh, 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 they, they're in the agri business. They're in the aviation business. They're in the telecom. And so there's, a, uh, and I know one of my nephews who flies drones. He could, he could turn that into a career. There's a lot out there. There's so much out there. And, um, and the technology, I think, really drives it. I mean, I, I, I was kind of snickling a little bit when she talked about the Jetsons because that's exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know, uh, that's um, all the, I think they had cell phones back then in the Jetsons. Yeah. And, uh, I, hope I, I, hope, I hope we're not losing our listeners. Uh, I hope they know what the Jetsons are. <laughs> I mean, they can Google it if not. Yeah, yeah, they can. 
but uh, again, uh, we, uh, we, that was a great, um, conversation with, uh, Ms. Shanetta, uh, um, Griffin with the FAA. And we certainly appreciated her being here on Black Consumer News with us, um, this morning. Uh, speaking of Black women in such, uh, powerful and influence, uh, it seems to be a theme this week with the President's recent announcement that he was going to name a Black woman to the Supreme Court and Federal Reserve, two of the most influential and powerful institutions in the nation, Wes. I don't think you can name uh, the only other two that come to that level is Congress, and uh, and that's about it. Those are are at the very, uh, the Supreme Court is part of our three branches of government, and if the Federal Reserve determines... uh, you know, they oversee our economy. They are considered the central bank of the United yeah. States. So uh, you have uh, the highest black women president has said that he's going to name a black woman first for both of these positions, Supreme Court and the Federal Reserve. So this is going to be a, 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 if they are a nominate, he's going to nominate them. And if they are confirmed, this will be a first in our nation. Well, as we, as we know, he, he, he's standing by his campaign pledge, he's saying, to mm. nominate, uh, the, uh, you know, black women or black, uh, appointing a black woman, uh, for a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Biden has also nominated 62 women as, um, federal judiciary and 19 have been black. So um, that is on the uprise. Um, You know, some may argue that this is um, something that's that that's overdue. And and, and some may say, well, it's better late than never as well. Um, Yeah. You know, uh, I think we talked about this earlier before coming to the show uh, of the Supreme Court nominees. It's just going to be a handful of women that will be considered that are senior members of the judiciary sit on the Court of Appeals or a U.S. District Judge. I think one is uh, Ashley Clark for the, 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 the man that they're replacing, Justice Stephen Breyer. I think her name was Con- Judge Kentaji Brown, who worked uh, the D.C. Court of Appeals, and mm-hmm. Le- Leandra Cougar, and Judge Michelle Childs, which I think a lot of people think she she and, and uh, Kentaji Brown are, strong, are, the- are strong contenders, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I think that'll be very interesting. I yeah, think that go ahead. I was just gonna say, I just think it's um, you know, and I wanted you to kind of speak on this. In my mind, I know that uh, Brown Jackson, I know she worked for Bayer. Mm-hmm. And um, so they have a personal relationship. Yeah, and yeah. uh and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not always about uh, what you know, it's who you know sometimes. But uh, do you think that might give her some some leverage as far as being the nominee? Well, I think the fact that he's the one that's going off and she's had some association, it could be good and bad. Good is that the conservatives are, are not want, wanting someone that is maybe as liberal as Stephen Breyer is. Some people consider him the most liberal uh, justice on, on the Supreme Court. There's nine members of the Supreme Court. Uh, there's six that are considered, considered conservative and the three that are considered uh, uh, progressive or liberal. So uh, that you like to replace a conservative with a conservative. Uh, some people believe that we're, it should be more balanced. It should be more five, four or four or five. But now we have a six, three. That's because President Donald Trump has named three conservatives and they prevented President Obama from naming 
uh, his uh, uh, last appointee. So I, that's I, I where we are that. right now. I remember uh, that. So let's talk about the process for com- confirming a U.S. Supreme Court justice. What is that process exactly, Wes? I, I think, uh, and, and you, we, we can explain this for both the Federal Reserve and the Supreme Court. Okay. It has to be, it has to, the president has to nominate them and the, and the, and the U.S. Senate, which has a hundred members, uh, will confirm, will approve those, uh, nominations. Right now, we, as we know, and we've talked about this in the past, Angel, the Senate, U.S. Senate is 50-50. And the person to break the tie is Vice President Kamala Harris. You know, uh, so all that has to happen for these nominees to get approved is for the Democrats to hold serve, meaning that if all the Democrats vote for, for these nominees, then they don't, they don't need, uh, the Republicans. You don't need Tom Cotton. Uh, our senator, our two senators are John Boseman because they're conservative. Uh, so what has to take place is that, but we have seen that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema have voted against uh, Biden on several occasions. So they vote with the conservatives. So what President Biden has to do is to make sure that all the Democrats uh, vote for these nominees and they won't have any problems uh, Interesting. Uh, confirming uh, confirming these black women to these uh, historical uh, positions. Yeah. Very interesting track record coming from the, the, the Senate, that's for sure. Um, what are some of the president's um, critics saying? Um, I, I think I heard uh, someone, uh, and, and, this, and it always is very interesting to me, uh, why does the president have to say that it's, he's going to appoint a black woman emphasizing mm-hmm. the word black mm-hmm. um and why does that have to be um you know s- such a big part of this nom- you know nominating this person and why is that so important and just a lot of whys and what, and and what? and um go well, ahead. Well, well first of all he said it w- he said in his campaign that he was going to do exactly that he was going to name a black woman to the supreme court of course as you said as you, his critics are saying why did you have to say black? Well, past presidents have said they're going to name a woman. They're going to name a, and here's, here's the, the big thing about it. Of a Hispanic? All the, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, President Obama named the first Hispanic, uh, Sotomayor, Sonia Sotomayor. So, uh, so that's been done in the past, but it's only because we said black woman that we're kind of getting this blowback from conservatives and sometimes just straight out racist. One of the things, uh, Senator Ted Cruz came out and said, that this is affirmative action and this is. And, and here's the thing. Out of the 115 in the history of the United States, 108 out of 115 have been white men. Now, we talk about having, representing all of America. Does 108 out of 115 white men represent all of America? No. Uh, so, so for them to come out and say, when you, you're nominating a black woman, that is affirmative action. That is uh, uh, that is racist. This is this is just these white men. And what you're seeing in most of the people who are complaining, the critics are white women and and white men who who don't want a black woman to sit on the U.S. Supreme Court at the highest court in the nation. I think that uh, there was something that the press secretary Jean uh, Paskey um, stated. 
that I thought really kind of put everything in a great perspective. She said Biden is speaking to his desire and interest to have the court around the country that look like American America and represent the experience in America. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's called an even playing field. I mean, we are all Americans here. We're white Americans. We're black Americans. And we all need to be represented, especially in the highest court of the land. And especially when there are so many cases that are, uh, are, that are presented to the Supreme Court that affect black America too. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. You know, he's like you said, you mentioned earlier that of his judicial nominees, 19 have been uh, uh, black uh, nominees and some have been black men also. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but here's, here's the thing, as you said, uh, w- one of the areas where, where, where black people have not got uh, justice has been in the courts. Not to yes. say that a, and, and a judge is bipartisan. They're not, they're supposed to look at the law. But we know in the past that, that on both sides, sometimes that doesn't happen. And sometimes you need people in the court that have a perspective of the people that come into that court. Absolutely. A lot of times when, when black people go into court, all they see, all they, they see things that are not familiar to them. They see white judges. They see white attorneys. They see white jailers. They, all through the judicial system, it's almost all white. Uh, so why shouldn't that represent America? And, and the same thing on, on but, the well, it, well, it do, it doesn't represent America, and I think that's what he's saying mm-hmm. uh, uh, is that it needs to, and then we need to um, definitely expedite this model uh, of changing, or or not expedite it. Well, expedite it on one level, but continue it greatly in another. Yeah, yeah, and you know, with with me, the the Supreme Court is is one thing, but you know, me being, uh, you know, I love business and I love economics, but I think. The nominee of Lisa Cook to reserve is just as important. Uh, President Biden named her and a, a, a black man to uh, 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 Philip Jefferson to the seven uh, member federal board, the Federal Reserve. They determine how the economy is going to recover, how employment is going to be affected. But more importantly, in March, interest rates are supposed to go up. And yes. And and that the federal twelve person federal uh, federal reserve they will make those determinations. Now, if I'm going to go buy a house and I'm black, that's going to be the first thing that determines if I'm going to that and the and the credit score are going to be the number one two things that determine if I'm able to buy home. And to have someone that looks like me to say, well, can we raise interest rates or should we lower based on how it impacts Black Americans. I think that's important. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree with that. Like you said, it's the perspective and perspectives mm-hmm. are uh, devised on our environments and we mm-hmm. need people to represent our environment, <laughs> our culture as well, uh, mm-hmm. because we are a part of this American society as Black Americans. So I think it's mm-hmm. very important and I think it is definitely history making, but I think that uh, we need to see more of it in the future. 
So this, yeah, so this has been a big week for Black women at the federal level, but there has also was been a a lot going on locally Um, since we, (laughs) yeah, since we don't have a lot of time left. uh, Mm -hmm. Let's quickly talk about BCN stories locally uh, about great things that Black women are doing. First, Annie Abrams on Good Morning America, one of my favorite shows, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know she got a, I know she got a big um, kick out of that. The picture, uh, if picture said a thousand words, the one of Annie Abram uh, on the front cover definitely um, says a, a thousand, a thousand words. And especially uh, during Black History Month, um, uh, to, to um, have a street named in, in, in her honor, uh, civil rights icon Annie uh, McDaniel Abrams is who we're talking about. Uh-huh. And, um, so uh, Good Morning America came to Little Rock um, mm-hmm. off of, uh, what street is, is Miss Abrams on? I can't even. Well, well, it's called Annie Abrams Street now. Well, so. it is, but what, but what, but what, what, right. But it's right on the other side of Battery and Wright Avenue. I was just wanting That's to right. give people a geographical location. And mm-hmm. um, the comment that she made about all the, the wonderful things that are going on with the street named after her is that, oh God, I feel like a little girl having a birthday party. And man, I could so identify with that. And I, so I'm sure that so many other people can too. That's, that's a joyous, joyous occasion for her. And it warmed my heart to read that comment from her because she has done so much. And I know, Wes, that you know her personally. She, she attends your, your church, but you're She's also her. Pers- yes. Mm-hmm of hers yeah, as yeah, well yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it was, and if you know anything about Annie she loves birthdays because she's got the biggest birthday party on September 25th that's her birthday that's her uh that's her birthday she has a big uh birthday celebration on her in her yard and in her front porch and that's uh when Good Morning America showed up uh, uh Janae Norman was the reporter they had a big celebration uh, Bruce uh, Moore, the city managers, presented her with a, 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 a street sign named after her, Annie McDaniel Abrams. And she also received a surprise $25,000 donation from Wells Fargo for the Annie Abrams Living Negative Award Scholarship at Washita University in her honor. So it was a big day for Annie. Uh, and we celebrate Annie Abrams because she, uh, at 90 years old, she's still going strong and doing uh, so much for our community. Absolutely. And speaking of uh, going strong, the mayor seems to be going someplace and he's definitely <laughs> going strong. I think with his appointment of Kendra uh, Pruitt, uh, he ap- appointed her as his new chief of staff, mm-hmm. uh, him being the first black mayor and uh, her being the first black woman appointee as chief of staff for the mayor's office. So this is, is a great announcement. Yeah, he did that on January 26th. Uh, and it's interesting, he did that about a week, a little less than a week before he announced his re-election campaign. So uh, heading 10 months before the November 22 election, Kinger will be over the mayor's office, basically setting the agenda for the mayor, kind of uh, uh, leading, uh, being his chief advisor. Uh, so it, 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 is, it, it is interesting that, that he named her, and as you know, Angel, we've received a lot on our, our social media sites and on our website. A lot of people have come and read this and applauded this and see this as a as a great appointment uh, to the mayor's office uh, and believe that she will uh, help the mayor not only 
in his office, but also in his reelection as he uh, looks to to continue his agenda, his build build back better. I, is, what is it called? What is his campaign called? Uh, uh, his reelection campaign, rebuild the rock campaign. So build she's going to be a, a big part of that. Yeah, and uh, I just like to say, you know, I've 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 met. Uh, uh, Kendra personally and, uh, you know, being uh, appointed by the mayor to be on the Opportunity Zone, I think is when she really first came in, you know, as, in his administration. And, you know, she's she's really been really firm and supportive in him and his administration. So she's just, it seems like it's a perfect segue into the things that she's already been helping him de- develop. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, uh, they mentioned that she was a miss, you know, a big part of the COVID-19 uh, response to neighborhood safety and mm-hmm. um, just a lot of great things that she's been doing for the administration. So uh, it sounds like it's very well-deserved and I look forward to. Yeah. And, and, and as you know, the re-election announcement, you know, that, that he has, he wants to get some things done that he didn't, he hasn't didn't gotten done in the first three years, and and a lot of that uh, is is diplomacy. And you need someone that can go and negotiate for you and deal with the city board of directors. Uh, he's gotten a lot done, uh, uh, Mayor Scott. Uh, he's uh, over seven thousand jobs have come to the city. Uh, you've yeah. seen uh, a lot of things happen under his administration. But as he said in his reelection campaign, there's a lot of things that he wants to get done. Uh, uh, he didn't pass the one. Se- percent sales tax to generate over 530 million over the next decade. But, but he's done a lot of great things and he has some other things that he wants to get done. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, have, you have to have some time to make things um, happen, uh, especially Mm. in these different administrations when you're taking over positions from someone else who obviously people lead differently and um, different things transpire. So, uh, definitely the, 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 the sincere is best to um, Kendra and we'll have to have her on the show hopefully one day very soon. Yeah, and as, and as you said, I think one of the biggest things that people haven't seen and don't give the mayor and, and his team credit for, we, he, he has led us through a historic pandemic. And I think uh, uh, that's a, just yeah. to give him kudos for that is, is huge. I, I, I think you have He's done a great job. Uh, he's led. He hasn't followed. He's led. Uh, so I think we have to give the mayor credit for the great job that he's done in that sense. Absolutely. I, I, I agree. And uh, that is going to end our show for this week, Wesley. If you haven't already, go check out our website, blackconsumernews.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We have some great local and national stories that uh, we know we start a great conversation and impact your pocketbook. Also sign up for the Monday Morning Brew newsletter on our website and get our weekly updates in your inbox to start your week. Again, thank you for joining us today here on News Headline. Yeah, before we go, I I do want to just say this and uh, congratulations to Kenya Eddings, who was named uh, the recent uh, director of the Arkansas Minority Commission. We're going to talk about that on our next show, but I, I wanted to get that in. Perfect. All right. And remember, Black Consumer News is the news that empowers.